0: What's going on everyone that's listening in, welcome to another episode of the uh, modern day sniper podcast. Uh, today I'm doing this one solo uh, with uh, two special guests. Kalen just uh, took off for his grand Teton um, hunt and uh, for mountain goats. So he will be off uh, offline for a couple of days, but anyways, um, for those that are tuning in for the very first time and um, you're unsure of what the modern day sniper podcast is. Uh, the Modern Day Sniper Podcast is the podcast for relevant information uh, into the art of long-range shooting. You know, our focus here on Modern Day Sniper is not just sniper specific tasks, but uh, it revolves around being a well-rounded rifleman. So whether you're a long-range hunter, competitor, military, or law enforcement sniper, or even just an enthusiast, you're here because you know you want to gain information about how to pursue and and, uh, pursued the craft of being a uh, master of, you know, long range, the the long range discipline. So uh, we appreciate you guys tuning in. And yeah, like I said, I've got a very special uh, two guests here that I've been looking forward to doing this podcast. Um, We've been getting a lot of uh, questions about uh, specifically these two and and what their background is, which is um, the army sniper side of the house. So I've got Christopher Roberts and Christopher Rantz who are both former, uh, is that correct? For, former uh, yeah. U.S. Army Cyber School Instructors. You guys are no longer there, right?
1: Yeah, I just finished up uh, probably about last month. I'm off, uh, headed off to be a drill sergeant now though, but uh, myself and Roberts, we're still pretty, you know, tightly knit to the community
2: as well. We still cool, try cool.
1: Support.
2: So guys, right, and I um, retired about a year ago. Okay.
0: Uh, so yeah, guys, um, go ahead and uh, take the floor. Let's start with uh, either Roberts or or uh, Rance and uh, don't don't be uh, don't be too humble when you uh, you know uh, let the viewers know just a little bit about your guys' background and um, and real quick, guys. Uh, we understand that this is going to be a very uh, in-depth uh, topic about the you know employment and the future of the just the Army and the Marine Corps Scout Cyber Program. So. Uh, we look at this as going to be a series. So this would be essentially part one of that uh, of that series. So go ahead, take the floor, guys.
1: Uh, I'll go in and start. So my name is uh, Christopher Rance. I got a little over 16 years of uh, active service in the Army. I spent the first part of my military service down in 10th Mound uh, serving in a sniper section. Uh, I served as a sniper, sniper team leader, and sniper section leader. Um, afterwards, I did a quick stint up in Washington, D.C. with the Old Guard. And then my last two assignments have definitely kind of brought me back into the sniper community. Uh, my first one was in DOTD uh, writing the army sniper manual uh, for the United States army. After that, I went ahead and went down to the schoolhouse and from two, 2017 to 2020, uh, I served as an instructor and as a team sergeant.
0: Nice. Nice. Uh, what, uh, where did you ser- uh, serve overseas in, in, in theaters?
1: Uh, I, I have been both to Afghanistan and Iraq.
0: Awesome. Thanks Chris.
1: No problem.
2: Yeah. Hey, I'm uh, Christopher Roberts, uh, Michigan native. I got uh, just a little bit over 17 years before I retired. I did uh, retire medically. Um, I've got five tours overseas between Iraq and Afghanistan uh, for a total of almost 60 months. And uh, I've been a qualified schoolhouse sniper since 2009. Um, served everything from the 101st to uh, the 82nd to the Lurs unit out at Fort Bragg, back to the uh, 101st over in Germany uh, as an instructor for a little bit, teaching some other stuff. And then I finished my time out at the U.S. Army Sniper School. I uh, got there in about 2017. And like I said, finished my time out there all the up until I retired. And I was a team sergeant there, an instructor there. Um, of finished out as a just kind of a writer over there for doctrine and then now i am uh i work for the army as a sniper subject matter expert
0: that's awesome um hey guys welcome aboard to the uh, modern day sniper podcast again i we appreciate caitlin and i appreciate you guys taking time and um you know from the outside looking in uh we see how much uh time and effort you guys are not only putting into the community and giving back, but, uh, trying to restructure and move forward with, um, which we'll, we'll talk about that here shortly, uh, restructure the, uh, the sniper program, uh, over there. And and I know it's a, a lot of hard work and sometimes you're kind of against the odds, um, with a lot of people that are kind of stuck in their ways. So my hat's off to you guys, um, for that, uh, for doing that, for your guys' community. So I'm looking forward to, to, uh, what we have to chat about today.
1: I appreciate that.
0: Um, So guys, uh, very first thing I think we talked about yesterday is, you know, let's go ahead and highlight, you know, for the guys that are listening in. And it's like, let's say, okay, from uh, essentially the thought of being a army sniper up until getting to the scout platoon, what does that process look like for, um, you know, for a soldier?
1: So biggest thing for me, when I came up uh, through 10th Mountain, I started off in a line company, it was actually in Delta Company. Um, after my first tour to Afghanistan, I came back and the scout platoon was having tryouts. And tryouts usually consisted of a week to two weeks of going over land navigation, marksmanship, ship, um, and just really kind of testing your character and seeing if you're gonna be a good fit within the scout platoon. Um, you also do a, like an interview board uh, with your senior uh, scout, like section leaders and also uh, the platoon sergeant as well. From that point on, you come into a scout platoon, you generally serve in a scout role. Um, If the sniper section feels that you're going to be a good candidate uh, to be a part of the sniper section, they will go ahead and conduct a separate tryout. From that tryout, if you do get into the sniper section, they will try to get you now a hard slot for the schoolhouse. You then will go off to the schoolhouse. Um, When I went through, it was five weeks, but our course right now is currently seven weeks. Uh, once you come back from the schoolhouse, hopefully as a graduate of sniper school, you then come into a sniper team, and again you start off as a junior sniper and you kind of work your way up. Um, but that's generally the gist of of how someone becomes an army sniper uh, in one of our formations. What's
0: what's the what's that timeline looking like? Let's say uh, the most expedient route from you know boot camp to uh, sniper section, well, being in the sniper section.
1: Uh, I would say. Eh, to put like a, a approximation on it probably one to two years and then okay. once you actually get into sniper section um you probably only have about a year to two years of serving in that role and again we'll get into that later on but that's probably one of the biggest downfalls yeah. of the sniper in the army um, we don't really have a really solid career progression but that is something that we are trying to change and the past couple classes we've actually had basic trainees so after they completed their basic training, they came directly to the course and we've had a lot of success with that as well. But again, we'll talk about that, uh, down the road, but Roberts might have some stuff to chime in on as
2: well too.
0: Yeah. Roberts, tell us about your route, how, how, uh, how it started for you to, to, to be, become a sniper. You got a little smirk there.
2: Well, I, I'm going to be honest with you and, and, and my, my, uh, my route to, to sniper hood was uh completely different than the, than the traditional cause I was already uh three tours in and, uh all three to afghanistan or sorry iraq and um i was an nco before i ever became a sniper so um i actually went in 2009 and i had already been in the army for seven years and um you know i actually went as a walk-on uh one of my soldiers actually had gone to the school and then they were going to run an mtt at fort campbell and they asked him to help assist and instruct. So, you know, he came to me and he was like, hey, can I do this? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. We got to clear it cleared through the chain of command. And then he was kind of like, uh, you know, you should walk on because I almost can guarantee you'll get in. Um, and The walk-on procedures is just simply that you go there, you're ready to go, you have your packing list, you have all your, you know, your physical, your waivers, your psyche evals, um, PT cards, you know, all your paperwork is good to go because you know kind of historically people will show up that are not ready to go even though they think they are and so they'll just drop them hey you're not ready to go get out of here and who's the next in line that that does have their stuff uh ready to go so um i was there ready to go and i I got into the class and, and and thankfully uh you know passed and then um, I actually didn't even serve in a sniper role, believe it or not, for a couple years after that. Well, actually, I guess about a year after that when I went out to, to Fort Bragg and ended up at the 18th Airborne Corps. And so that's yeah. kind of really where I started up to put it into action. So it was kind of completely different for me um, than 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 the traditional route. Yeah. Um, real quick, MTT. Uh, mobile training team. Okay. So what the Army did for a little while there – was they were really backlogged on getting guys actually to the schoolhouse? Yeah. Um, not to mention with the you know rotations happening ra- rapidly, um, you know it, it became more uh, advantageous for the army to actually send out uh, groups of instructors to different bases around the army to to run the courses locally. So they mm-hmm. came up to Fort Campbell um, from Fort Benning and uh, and ran a class there. They actually ran it I think they ended up running three classes almost back to back.
0: So, um, before I dive into kind of the differences already I, I see with snipers uh, in the Marine Corps and snipers in the Army, um, the scout and the sniper section are they two different platoons? Is it or the same platoon in just two different sections?
2: Yeah, same platoon, two different sections. Okay. Now, um, just also understand that there 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 is caveats to that okay. depending on what the overall formation is. Yep. Um, because uh, you have your 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 mechanized guys that are that are structured a little bit differently, hmm. so I, I think best for us is just to speak from the general broad strokes of an infantry basic combat team, okay. and, and their structure, yeah, because that's okay. that's kind of the that's kind of the premise for uh, how everything else is is based off of.
0: How, how big is uh, how big is a platoon or a section? Uh, okay. So like, I guess, uh, army TO, I know, I think I'm sure in the Marine Corps, right. No one ever meets <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, Chris, you want TO. One.
1: <laughs> yeah. So I'll see, I served in an IBCT. So it's an infantry brigade combat team. Um, I was with two, four, uh, 10th mound and our scout platoon. It was roughly about 25 to 30 personnel. Okay. Um, you had three sections of scout platoon members and then you had one section of snipers okay. and that one section of snipers, um, it was nine man, Nine or ten men, depending if you had an actual uh, E6 acting as an SEO, Um, but that was it for that battalion. So, if you look at a battalion, which the battalion is roughly made up of between 600 to 800 personnel, you'd only have nine to ten snipers uh, inside that battalion. So, again, it's we don't have a ton of personnel that are serving in that role capacity, and so the intent is to try to have a lot of the scout platoon personnel kind of in that dual hat. So another premier course that we try to send guys to is RSLIC, the Reconnaissance Surveillance Leadership course Um, and also Ranger School as well too. But that's generally the intent is if you're serving in that capacity, in that scalpel team, you're looking at leadership, at least Ranger, RSLIC, Sniper, and then some of your low level like enlisted um, personnel would be at least Sniper or RSLIC based off in what capacity they're trying to serve in. So,
0: Uh, and you have to be an 11 Bravo right to in order to be in a scout section and uh and obviously to be in an infantry battalion you have to be an 11 that's it right there's just 11 bravo or is so
1: a- the, the course yeah so the course actually accepts 11 series 19 series okay. and your 18 series okay. and again so now if we get into the cav world and stuff though like your 19 series your actual scouts um okay. they are authorized to come to the course they don't hold the additional skill identifier the bravo four Uh, but again, though, they have their own reconnaissance type formations. Yeah. Yeah. So, but in a typical IBCT, um, yes, it is only going to be your 11 Bravo or your 11 series.
0: Okay. Um, so just real quick guys, for those who are listening, I don't know if Kalen and I really talked about this in our, in our podcast, but, um, that already I can identify, uh, the fundamental differences between, you know, a a scout sniper platoon makeup and an army sniper platoon makeup. So, you know, same route, become an infantryman, you go to an infantry battalion and you serve in the line line platoon and then the scout sniper platoon uh, holds tryouts typically, you know, once or twice throughout the workup prior to deployment. It's typically at the very beginning of the workup, right, right when they get back from rotation of, of a deployment, just because guys are getting out, right? Very similar, I'm sure, with you guys, guys are getting out and you're just replacing fresh bodies. Well, once they come to the platoon, or it's like uh, five to seven days, sometimes two weeks, depending on the unit. Um, and once they get selected to become the platoon, they're in the scout sniper platoon and that's what we reference them to as pigs. Um, but now they're fighting within, or they're com- competing a- amongst each other uh, to get slots to sniper school. And let's say that in that sni- scout sniper platoon, we only have uh, you know eight to 10 snipers out of a TO of 24 for four teams typically that the, the the snipers are going to be uh, holding your team leader and assistant team leader role. Right. And you've got a total of six, um, six, uh, Marines per team. Um, and yeah, sometimes, I mean, dip, just depending on the unit, um, you could have a whole platoon full of uh, snipers or a full platoon of non snipers. So it's just, and, uh, you know, so that, that platoon is specific to, um, uh, be, being the reconnaissance asset for that, for that battalion commander and stuff like that. So we don't essentially separate our platoon into scouts and snipers like you do. Um, if that may, if, if that makes sense. Nope. And I think, I it think, that's kind of, yeah, I think, I think that's where the, that, the fundamental differences start between how kind of we're employed. Um, and I know we'll talk about that, uh, uh shortly, um, going back to kind of your guys's progression. And I know you have both of you guys have seen the pros and cons between both of you guys, how you guys came on, on a, a part of the cyber platoon or cyber program. So for me, um, I was a, what we consider a stay baby where as soon as I graduated from my infantry training school, I went straight over to a scout sniper platoon, which is, you know, which is good and bad, but looking back, I wish I would have done at least a lot, a, a deployment or two in the line company. Uh, to understand how the infantry works to better be, be able to understand how to support them does that make sense um and where i think where you guys were able to do that and then cross over to the sniper section do you guys typically see those kind of like sniper babies or whatever you guys call, might call them or is it a minimum of a, a line or a, a, com- a deployment in the line companies or line platoons before we head over to the sniper section
2: so there's you know there's there's obviously there's no set in stone um and each section kind of gets the authority to run their their uh tryouts and their requirements to be in section a little bit differently but yeah so usually especially with you know the global war on terror and and how quickly the turnover was from those deployments that you know it was usually that the the e3 p you know pfc through e4 um coming back from their first deployment would then um would then get an opportunity to try out for scouts um most of the time they weren't taken guys that were that were fresh out of basic training and ait um to those sections because yeah they did they want them to come um with experience so there's 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 benefits and draws to that and 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 that's what i think you know chris was alluding to and with us trying to to you know trying the pilot course of of bringing some guys straight over from basic and ait and then putting them through um it fills those roles quicker Um, they get those guys that are qualified in section faster but you know, the trade-off of that is experience and some people view that as an issue. Some people, you know, are, are okay with it. So we, we've kind of got a mixed reviews from, from that.
0: I guess what is, um, I, I guess it's hard to say cause everyone is, is so different. Every unit is so different in how they employ their snipers, right. And, and successful, you know, one of the biggest issues that we had in, in terms of scout snipers um, was every every unit commander was a hit or miss in terms of whether they liked snipers or they hated snipers? Right, if they hated snipers, oh god, it was a, a uphill battle the whole deployment or workup. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Just trying to, uh, you know, show them what we were capable of. Uh, and you know, if we had shitty leadership, then it was it was just tough. You know, we were just always uh, fighting against the grain. Um, but then we'd have battalion commanders like my last uh, my last workup before I went over to the sniper schoolhouse. I had a great battalion commander. Awesome. He, he understood the value of having snipers and stuff like that. So like he gave us the left and right lateral limits to do whatever the hell we wanted. As long as we obviously were, were, you know, keeping within his uh, commander's intent. Um, but that I've also had battalion commanders that didn't let us do a damn thing. You know what I mean? Uh, and I'm sure yeah. you guys run into that too in the, in the army, in the army community.
1: Absolutely. And stuff though. And probably our biggest uh, pitfall, at least for the past say decade and a half has just been not being em- properly employed by commanders. Okay. And so something that we're actually trying to change almost at the schoolhouse level is we've definitely focused more on trying to teach and mentor these soldiers that come through the schoolhouse to be able to one, To be an effective sniper but two to be able to go ahead and go back and brief his capabilities to that command team uh at the schoolhouse we definitely changed our mantra or at least our mindset too that we're not here just to be instructors we're here to be teachers and mentors and it's our job our responsibility to uh instill the discipline in this soldier in this future sniper to go back you know and then conduct training to a standard but then also be able to get in front of that commander and brief a proper capabilities brief to that command team and so that's something that um, we kind of talked about earlier with the OSIP program with guys coming from basic training to the schoolhouse. Uh, I'm a firm believer in that program. I think first sergeant sipes and the command teams, they've done a phenomenal job on that and getting you know the ball rolling because this guy now does 22 weeks of basic training, learning how to be an infantryman, then comes to us for seven weeks to learn how to be a sniper. But now he goes into that sniper section, hopefully with some experienced leadership, but now he has a lot more longevity inside that section. So if, instead of only having one to two years of maybe section time, he could generally spend, uh, you know, five, six, seven, eight years, or even more in, in that career field. And if we can go ahead and build that longevity of him being in a, serving as a sniper for the U S army, that's going to make him a force multiplier for years to come.
0: So you guys are just like us where we, the heartache of being in a sniper community is the fact that our, our, our lifeline is not that long, <laughs> right? It's like, well, maybe once you pick up the, you know, become a sniper, two to three years max. And it's like, it's very rare cases that you have guys that stick in the community for over ten years that are like in sniper bill. Like yeah. for me, instance, like I, I'm, I would say consider myself a unicorn because my whole time from, from after I graduated ITB, uh, Infantry Training Battalion, all the way up until like um, uh, EAS, the, my end of active service. I spent in the sniper community, which is not really unheard of, but it's very rare where I know as guys spent probably four years and it's time for them to move on, you know, big army or the big Marine Corps has other plans for them. And that's when guys that are really dedicated to the craft are like, well, it's just time to move on uh, to bigger and better things, which I'm sure you guys see too. Where do, where do a lot of your snipers go um, when it's time to move on?
2: Back to the line, uh, either back to the line or, or they go on for a, a broadening assignment, whether it be a drill sergeant or a instructor somewhere, um, really, you know, the guys who get to come to be instructors are the guys that will spend the longest time of their career actually serving in that role or, okay. or serving in that capacity. Um, cause you know, for us, E6 is, is really the limit right now. There's only one. And that's, and that's the section leader. There's only one position really above, um, above that and that would be the overall platoon sergeant that there that there would be left and, and you know that you're talking twenty, thirty guys competing for one position. So yeah. um, you know, the chances of them being sniper qualified or are, are kind of hit or miss.
0: Uh, how big um, is it, how big is the schoolhouse right now?
1: In regards to how many instructors are currently, yeah, how many there. how
0: many instructors? Yeah, uh,
1: at one time and stuff, it be between like eighteen to twenty four instructors. Uh, for the most part, that's going to be filled by your E six, your staff yeah. sergeant. Yeah. You do have a branch chief, which is an E eight position, uh, which is currently held by a sergeant first class, and then you have two team sergeants, um, which are sergeant first classes as well. Okay. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, not to dive too deep because I know we want to probably focus on cyber school as a whole and one another series, but. Um, do you guys have uh, concurrent courses uh, running? So like as, as one class picks up, let's say three or four weeks down the road, another class picks up while that, mm-hmm. that class is on deck. Okay. So that's how you guys kind of are able to push so many classes through one year. Cause you guys only have one sniper schoolhouse in um, the hold. big army.
1: So so we actually have two schoolhouses. We okay. have one that's run by the active component, which is located in Fort Benning, Georgia. Okay. And then we have the other one located in Arkansas, but that's ran by your National Guard. Okay. But both courses, they have the ability to uh, issue or award the ASI Bravo Four to be a certified sniper. And if an active or National Guard personnel soldier, he can attend either or course. Either or. Um, okay. Yeah.
0: Is it the same curriculum, like same uh, in terms of um, what qualifications they have to meet in order to get that Bravo Ford
1: designator? To an extent, um, but that's something that we are trying to work on. Uh, Also, beyond the active duty side of the house, we have a lot more... I guess, leeway and changing course curriculum and stuff though. Also, you've probably seen from our recent posts on Facebook, IG. Uh, if you came through the sniper course back in 2017, or you came through it now, it's a completely different course. Yeah, And yeah. we have that flexibility to do that. Whereas a national guard component, they're always kind of playing catch up. Um, now, granted, those guys have done an amazing job out there and uh, we are working with them to try to bring them up to speed and stuff though. But if you do go to either or course, you are going to get, you know, really good training value. So if you do go through the national guard course or the active course, um, you're going to still walk away as a certified sniper. They still have yeah. to meet certain requirements to issue that, that Bravo four. So again, we try to maintain that going forward, but there are some some hiccups along the way, but we are trying
2: to fix that. Yeah. And one of the things that I can add to this, uh, just because where I'm, where I'm at, where I'm working now is, so having spoke to their, their, Course uh, NCIC and our course NCIC. One of the biggest things now is that we can try new things, adapt the course, and then uh, eventually get them worked into actual uh, program of record or, uh, you know, sorry, get them into the program of instruction. They can't. They have to wait until it's validated before they can start instructing it. Um, and so that's where now, and that hasn't always been the case, but now that's where we're seeing any of the biggest differences um and and you know because we'll try things hey this works this doesn't work we need to adapt it we need to change it okay you know it might be a year down the line before we actually get it into the official program of instruction um and then and then they would be able to actually make those and institute those changes so we're working a lot better um than even before because there was you know there used to be a breakdown in communication so they're not completely blindsided by the changes that we make but they are slightly behind uh, as far as that's concerned um, and that just goes basically based off of their, the, the way their validation process works. So, uh,
0: not to try to back, I know we, it's, it's easy to get down rabbit holes and, and we definitely took a, not a right turn, but, um, went down a hole, but I want to backtrack a couple to what, what, uh, Rams was saying earlier about kind of what you guys are trying to push now with the new kind of sniper. Is it pipeline? Would you guys call it, um, you know, from being able to go to sniper training immediately? upon graduation from uh, his school of infantry
1: to an extent so i'll see with the whole COVID, you know pandemic um our leadership they saw a really golden opportunity to try something new um so between the command team at the course and then the command team at the battalion brigade level they went ahead and offered the schoolhouse or offered the opportunity for a basic trainee that has graduated basic, you know, basic training, who's just kind of waiting in limbo before his next unit to come to the course. Okay. Uh, so obviously they did a week long train up. So we would get say 18 guys. And then now those 18 guys, we selected 10, you know what I'm saying? We still had like a an initial, like a pre-sniper training, so to speak. And then they would come right into the course. And for the seven weeks they would do everything that was expected of them. And I know class zero zero four twenty, they graduated four uh, personnel for uh for the basic trainees. And then the last class we just had, we graduated eight and out of those guys um, trying to stay in contact with them as well too, but they are, they went to sniper sections or they went into a SDM type role um, and they're having a lot of success. And so the intent would be, we would select certain personnel from the, from, from basic training. They would come to sniper school. And then what we're trying to do too is to create, even or to extend that pipeline, so they would go to sniper and then go up the road to Arslic. So now okay. that way, when that guy gets into that scout platoon, he is not only sniper certified, but he's also arslik certified as well too. And that is a huge force enabler for that commander because now this guy knows the ins and outs of how to conduct reconnaissance and also how to deliver you know, a highly accurate shot onto a target.
0: I've heard horror, horror stories about Arslic. Uh, from some of my peers (laughs) that have been,
1: been through, it's like, it's (laughs) it's like a, it's like a mini, mini ranger, ranger school. It's probably one of the best courses in the army. Um, and again, the cadre there at Arslick are probably some of the best cadre that, yeah. that, you, that you would ever uh, run into. And we actually, for the past couple of years, uh, I know a couple of instructors at the schoolhouse right now, they have a really good relationship with them. And we've actually been having our cadre come out to the course and mm-hmm. just to assist us with our urban piece or Constance piece, but just really trying to build that interoperability amongst the two schoolhouses, hopefully for future endeavors.
0: Yeah. So, um, that, that's pretty cool. So I want to, I want to, uh, I know this might be a sensitive subject, uh, but what is some of the, if any, or, or backlash or grumblings you hear within your army community about that, about, uh, is it about that testing of, of infantry, new infantry recruits going to straight to sniper school?
1: Um, well, I mean, i see, I think Roberts can probably talk on this too. Uh, but some of the biggest things is see this guy, he's coming from basic training, going to a section and he doesn't have the experience. He doesn't really know how to operate as that instrument. Um, and, and I agree, it's going to be very challenging. It's going to be, it's going to be hard for him to kind of come right in and expect, you know, a hundred percent. Right. But as long as he has good leadership within his section, I think he's going to be just fine. And- yep. Because it because basic training now is twenty two weeks long. So when I went through, it was fourteen weeks, and now it's twenty two weeks. Uh, they're doing a lot more. And in all honesty, because of the new like qualifications that these guys do in basic training, when they came to the schoolhouse, which uh, you know we do almost three weeks now of barricade shooting, tripod shooting, and whatnot. Uh, these basic trainees were crushing it. I mean, these guys, they were getting on that barricade and stuff, though, and they were knocking down targets. And I think that is a direct reflection of their training in basic training. So uh, I'm all for it and stuff, though. There are going to be some challenges. um, But, again, as long as they have good leadership at the section level to learn those skill level one tasks, I think they'll be fine.
2: I think one of the biggest – yeah, I think one of the biggest things that – you know, we kind of, a lot of this is a mindset change, but one of the biggest things that we had to deal with, uh, you know, pretty often is a lot of guys would never come to the course until they were already in leadership positions. You know Um, they were, they were the senior guy on a, on a sniper team or, or they were your section section leader or whatever. And so, you know, in the army, I I believe we, we progress in leadership roles a little bit faster, or at least our timeline through the ranks are a little bit faster than on the course side. Um, And so, you know, that guy was, like I said, he was already a leader when he would come to the course where really the course is not targeted towards leaders. This is not an advanced sniper course, course. Uh, this is not a snipers leaders course or anything like that. This is the, you know, a lot of people refer to it as the basic army sniper course. Now th- that's kind of a misnomer because there isn't another <laughs> army yeah. sniper course, but, um, this is really targeted at those E threes, E fours. Um, and so, a lot of guys were like, well, you know, how are you going to send somebody who's, who's a basic training through? He doesn't have any experience. And it's like, like, he's the shooter, man. He's the trigger puller. He isn't really expected at the, as far as the army is concerned to be a leader and to have experience. And so, you know, I, I, guess it's, it's just, how are you going to employ that guy? If you, yeah. you know, if, if, if he has to come in and be a leader or as soon as he graduates the school, then yeah, this program's not going to work, but Um, if we actually use him the way that the army has kind of identified, if you look at the, the course requirements to come to the course, you know, he is a junior guy and he should fill the junior role, which therefore alleviates his need to be experienced.
0: Okay. Okay. So let's, let's talk about employment. Like, um, that's what I'm now curious and guys that are listening in again, I'm, I'm learning as much as everyone that's probably listening in now, because this is really other than uh, attending, you know, a few international cyber competitions and Winston, uh, the Winston P match over there in Arkansas. I mean, my, my understanding of the army sniper side of the house is very limited, you know, so um, I'm trying to gauge the questions around, you know, like what is what I typically get as a, as a Marine sniper. So uh, let's talk employment in the actual line platoons how was a sniper section or a scout section or both? How are they typically employed in combat uh, from Iraq days, global war on terrorism, Afghanistan, and conventional warfare?
1: Okay. Well, I'll go ahead and talk about Iraq. Uh, Cause obviously I served in a sniper position uh, yep. while serving in Iraq. It was during the surge. Uh, so for, for the first few months, we were just kind of serving in the capacity of overwatch. Uh, we would infill in uh, it would be a three man sniper sniper team with a six man uh, scout section as our security element. Um, so it was nine men, you know, moving in and out of Baghdad. Uh, we would set up a uh, journey overwatching the MSR main supply route uh, for your listeners. And then we would just kind of just look for any type of activity, um, such as, you know, ID emplacement, uh, you know, mortar, you know, firing points, et cetera, et cetera. Um, during that time span about midway through, we kind of switched more to a direct action time sensitive targeting, tight mission set, which we had a lot more success. And and again, that's where that sniper team would kind of set up in that overwatch support by fire position and basically overwatching that assaulting element as they went into uh, a building to one kill capture a target. And uh, if you look at the sniper success, We see it a lot over in St. 5th Ranger Regiment, and that's generally how they apply their snipers. You know, they call them snots, right? So it's a sniper and observation team. But their snipers kind of set up in a very hasty fashion, and they overwatch the objective while the assault team kind of goes in and does its business. And uh, they've been very, very successful with that type of uh, that role. And that is something that we're trying to mimic uh, throughout the course. Uh, other than that, though, yeah, it was just kind of your basic overwatch. And Robert might be able to talk about Afghanistan as far as how the sniper was in place there.
0: Now, before we dive into Afghanistan, are you in direct support of a company, uh, of a platoon, or uh, your your battalion? It, it would be platoon,
1: uh, platoon to company level, nothing okay. higher than that.
0: Nothing higher than that, okay, okay. No. Um and in and, and uh like two or three days prior or like uh, x amount of days prior to let's say you know a regular infantry squad patrol you know going out on their regular scheduled security patrol or whatever the case might be, or maybe an operation right? would you guys set up obviously prior to that?
1: Yeah, so obviously working in a major urban area like uh, like Baghdad or in Iraq and stuff though, as far as your infills in, we would do a lot of like stay behinds, so we would okay. go in with that you know line platoon. Uh, just acting as everyday, you know, infantrymen and stuff. We would go ahead and occupy a house. Everyone would leave. We would stay behind. Um, that'd be this stay behind technique. Uh, but in all honesty, though, as far as being able to stay on objective more than a day was pretty much non-existent. Uh, especially in a high dense urban environment, you're going to get compromised. Yeah. Uh, for the most part, you, we might be able to infill in uh, in the hours of the night, but you know, after morning prayer, after everyone starts moving about, um, I remember one time and stuff though, we were set up and this guy had like a, like a shop in the back of his house. So, you know, come six o'clock in the morning, they're, they're knocking on the door and it's like, well, you know, there we go. And I remember one time along the Tigris river uh, we thought the house was abandoned, but actually the owners left, but some little girl who was like a cleaning girl came by knocking the door and right then and there, you know, we're compromised. So, being able to stay on target, especially in an urban area for a prolonged period of time just wasn't a reality for us. Yeah. And so that's why we had to kind of change our mindset of how we were going to be employed and be successful on the battlefield. And that kind of came back to that overwatch support by fire, which we called like a precision support by fire piece. And uh, once we did that, we had a lot more success.
0: Awesome. Uh, so Afghanistan Roberts.
2: Uh, you yeah, know, I'd like to say it was a whole lot different, but it, it really wasn't. I mean, uh, you know, the stay behinds in the urban environments that was pretty common. Um, you know, I'll be honest with you, there wasn't a lot of huge operations, or at least where I was at. You know, we were kind of more into stability operations, so there wasn't a lot of offensive stuff going on. Um, so for the most part, it was it was those observation teams, um, and, and then and then covering main you know main supply routes through uh, the mountains. Um, those would probably be your closest to you know the mountain the mountain missions were probably the closest things we had to. To your typical reconnaissance role. Other than that, it was it was a lot of just overwatch of you know in static positions of of major supply routes or main supply routes, and and then and then uh, that the the urban type missions. Um, We you know that's the one thing that the army has 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 gotten away from, and it's part of what Chris and I are are currently working on trying to get the army to define is, you know what is the role of a sniper. You know, are we a great reconnaissance element? Are we an observation element? Um, you know, what is the role? What does that look like? And, and so since it had, it's not something that's been very well defined, or at least we, we watched, you know, G kind of flip that on its head. Um, you know, you know, we, we're, we're, it's kind of the lines have kind of been obscured.
0: Yeah. So I think we wanted to talk about that yesterday, you know, the evolution of just sniping in general, you know, from world war one to now, uh, you know, Chris, you, you, made up a great point in, in world war one. I mean, snipers back then, the way they were employed was, I mean, they were shooting into trenches, right? 100 to 200 yards away with iron sights, you know, just picking, yeah. picking people off and, you know, fast forward to World War II, you know, maybe we had some little bit, a little bit of optics, um, but it was just really that, uh, you know, that guy that you just couldn't see and that was just picking off people to uh, Vietnam, right? Uh, and so just the evolution, like, I feel like uh, the warfare has really changed the way we've been employed and the global war and terrorism has, has really, I mean, it, it got us away from the tr- traditional conventional way of employed. Would you guys agree? Is that, is that what you guys are mm-hmm. kind of looking at right now?
2: Yeah. So typically what we've seen, um, had have the, have the best results and, and to be a reoccurring appearance throughout history, at least on the army side is the small kill teams. Um, it's at four to six man teams. Um, you know, so it would be like a, uh, you know, your sniper, your spotter, your security guide and your RTO, uh, maybe a couple more depending on the, the assets that you, your, your you know, specific commander had available to them. Um, and it would, you know, the, the days of high value targets are, are kind of a thing of a past for us, it's, you know, specifically going on a mission, looking for a high value target. Um, those missions are kind of reserved for the special operations community. Uh, Typically, now, obviously, nothing's an absolute. So those missions do come down. But, uh, you know, in my experience, when when we get a high value target mission, you know, usually um, that that uh, that intelligence was was old and dated. It was something that the special operations community didn't want to action on and they kind of booted it down to us. And it was very rarely uh, anything that was very productive. So really the small kill teams, uh, you know, observing, you know, IED and and, and, and things of that nature, um, you know, w- was, was our most productive type missions.
0: Chris uh, Rance, did you want to add on, add on to that at all?
1: Yeah. And Robert's is right. So if you look back in history and stuff though, in Vietnam, um, the ninth, the ninth infantry division model for snipers and stuff though, was exactly that it was like your hunter killer teams and they had a ton of success. And then you fast forward to the global war on terrorism, especially Iraq, small kill teams came into play thanks to AWG. And again, we had a lot of success with that. And then you fast forward to Afghanistan, same thing. Small kill teams kind of came back into the mix. And again, we had a lot of success with that. Because at the end of the day, as a sniper and stuff, they're like, and this is what I kind of say to the students all the time, like we're in the business of killing, period, and stuff, though. If we're not efficient at our job, which is lethality, then, then what good are we and stuff, though? Um, so that's something that we actually kind of been focusing on the course too. So since 2018, we've tried to change the dynamics of what we do. And so uh, some of the instructors that are currently there now, uh, they've done a fantastic job by bringing complex engagements into the mix. And what that complex engagement is, is we are kind of assigning these students in those small kill teams, four to six personnel conducting a complex engagement, be it an offense or defensive uh, you know, type of mission on, on set targets. And we're, you know, we are seeing a lot of success. And those guys are now taking that blueprint back to their unit and running those missions. And, you know, talking to students that have graduated in the past, you know, in the past couple of years, they've given us feedback and reports from downrange from Afghanistan, from Syria. Um, And again, their leadership likes what they're seeing. So I think that might be the role that we need to take going forward. Uh, Reason being too, is we have to look at what, are our, our enemies doing, right? So let's see what Russia's doing over in Ukraine and Syria. How are they employing their snipers? Roberts and myself, uh, we went to Israel a couple years ago to compete in the IDF competition, but the main goal was to go there and to one, build in- interoperability with the uh, Israelis, but to see how they're being employed because in Israel, their snipers are on the front line. So from the West Bank to Gaza Strip and stuff, those snipers, on the front line on a day-to-day you know type of operation, and again they're having a ton of success. So if you look at Russia, look at Israel of how they're using their snipers, uh, their snipers are highly regarded. It's, it's, it's definitely a critical thing uh, that is needed by their army. Then you look at at the United States Army, it's kind of like uh, snipers, you know we'll call them up when we need them, but if we don't need them, we'll just kind of put them back into the closet until, you know, the next war kicks off. And that seems to be a recurring problem that we have, not just in the Army, but in the Marine Corps as well.
0: Yeah, I think it just, being a sniper in general, uh, our worst enemy is peacetime. Because no one, I mean, we're like, uh, we're just the bastard children, right? Like no one wants, they're like, oh, we got snipers, what are we gonna do with them? Um, until we're actually back in combat and they realize, okay, what we can, I mean, the, like, like you said, we're force multipliers. We really change the battlefield with, um, you know, with our, our ability to observe and our ability to minimize collateral damage and take very precise shots that, again, it's going back to psychological warfare of the enemy. And, you know, uh, commanders don't realize that in peacetime because we're not doing that, right? We're, we're taking in training. Yeah, we're sending back report for, at least for the, the sniper side of the house. You know, we're being employed as just a regular re- reconnaissance platoon asset a couple days prior to the, you know, um, uh, infantry um, assault or the main effort, you know, coming through and uh, seizing the objective and then maybe, you know, getting some comms and, uh, you know, your typical uh, reconnaissance reports. But um, it's it's kind of gravitating away from uh, the traditional employment of uh, snipers, at least on, on the Marine side of the house. And I, and I know for us, our heartache too, just like you guys is the, the pipeline or just the the life expectancy of a sniper is just so small. I mean, usually um, I hate to say this, but you know, when, when a guy gets done with the uh, the platoon or let's say a guy gets done with uh, his line platoon, he goes to a scout sniper platoon. There's typically at a minimum, unless he's like super mature at a minimum of one deployment in the sniper platoon before we send his ass to school. Right. Because we want to know that, you know, he's, he's capable and that, you know, we're, we're preparing him because typically you only get that one shot and for the most part, if he, if this dude's got a four-year contract, typically when they get back from that second deployment, if he goes the the route where, okay, he did his first deployment in line platoon, he does his second platoon, his second deployment as a scout sniper, just as a pig. Well, it's very rare that we give, he's going to stick around for that third deployment right and guys or if we send him to school right before deployment he he he, uh he goes to school goes on the deployment and gets the fuck out or goes to you know uh recon or the uh, or raiders or wants to go contracting because he's like f you know f big marine corps and that hurts us because now we're now we're playing you know it's it's just a it's just a vicious cycle all over again you know we're we're Mm -hmm. having to retrain new guys and then it's just it's just a nightmare and um so i can see your your heartache and i definitely feel for you guys in terms of that aspect and um yeah i think it's i think it's awesome uh i think it's awesome what you guys are doing you know at your level at the and i saw uh rance what you're doing at your schoolhouse and and letting and raising awareness through your channel and through your your facebook um, of what the army sniper program is up to because i think it's important i think you know, one thing that is such a big myth is how we're employed. Right. I think uh, like you, you, touched on it, Robert's so a lot of guys think of that, like high value target, you know, you get a package, you know, cyber game gets a package on their desk and it's like, Hey, this is a guy you got to take out. <laughs> really? That's right. what, that's what 99% of Americans think that the house snipers are employed. Um, Absolutely.
2: And, and I think one of the things that we're seeing from, you know, Russia's operations in Crimea, uh, we, we we've learned from some of the other uh, partner forces is that you know the sniper at the, the different echelon that they're employed um, is really there to fix an enemy in position and then something else is w- is what's actually used to destroy because we're not actually that good at destroying or eliminating enemies right because we're we're taking singular shots maybe in a complex engagement we get a, you know a few shots off but usually by the time we're shooting we're compromised so we're already thinking about moving into our E&E plan and and getting out of there because we're not usually a force that's, that's strong enough to sustain a fight. So, um, you know, really that's, that's kind of the mindset change is like, so rather than HVTs, which is, you know, th- those, those missions are still potentially out there and maybe in our, in our next conflict that'll come back. But really what we need to look at is, is, you know, if we get into large scale ground combat is fix an enemy in place and then call for, you know, indirect call for cats or then that's where those line companies um, or, or mechanized platoons or, or whatever can come through and actually eliminate a target because that's the biggest impact that we have is, is, you know, when people start sustaining sniper fire, they freeze. It's that's, it, right. it, it, that's been that's been the case for for 200 years now. Is they freeze because they don't know how to respond because when I can, you know, even in an ambush ambush, obviously one of the worst scenarios to be in. But, you know, you can generally fix an orient on your enemy and then and then react to contact. Right. But with a sniper, you know, we don't know where that shot comes from. And so it's very hard to react other than to, you know, seek cover which is that, like I said, being fixed in position. Because if I have to seek cover, I'm not moving anymore. And that's when indirect is, is, is very effective or, or a follow-on force or a maneuver element, I should say. Um, yeah. And that's the kind of thing that we're, we're really kind of looking at is employing snipers in depth um, and then, you know, that fix and then destroy. Go ahead, Chris. Yeah.
1: Just like Robert said, like, you know, if commanders look at sniper as an ambush technique, because technically we are and stuff, though. You know what I'm saying? We are a long range ambush. The only thing that we don't do is, you know, move through the, the kill zone and stuff, though, and conduct, you know, BDA. Uh, harassment fire, that's what we do well. And sniping overall is just an interdiction technique. You know, that's what we're used for and stuff, though. And if commanders can understand what we bring to the fight is we bring precision fires, we, br- we bring a very low risk to collateral damage. And we bring like that additional sensor to the battlefield. We offer that ground level line of sight perspective of of the objective area. So yes, you might have that UAS flying above. um, But again, they're looking from a top down approach, whereas that sniper is looking from a, you know, ground level, you know, first person view type perspective. And so something we've also done at the course as well is look to these enablers. So for the past few courses we've had uh, Air Force, special reconnaissance, come out and fly uh, their Pumas um, say for, during our complex engagements. Uh, last year, we had the small UAS guys come out with the OSRBT system. Um, again, you know, working with you know, identifying the target, sparkling the target, and then that sniper team kind of directing fires onto that target. Um, and that's what we're trying to do is we're trying to bridge that gap. Uh, also, the instructors at the schoolhouse have done a phenomenal job of bringing call for fire back. And we're actually trying to increase that, trying to get more to get these guys into the simulator a lot more than just a day or two. Um, because as a sniper and stuff, though, that's what you are, you're an enabler. At the core of yourself, you're still an infantryman. All right. So it's still required of you to be skill level one, task proficient, right? That like that's your primary job. But if you are a sniper, you have that additional skill set that you can provide to that commander. And I think the problem is, guys currently in section right now they're lacking in those skill level one taskings and that's having a direct reflection on how that commander views them. So, you know, from, for me, you know, to these younger guys that are going to be serving in this army for, you know, for, you know, well beyond until I get out is focus on those skill level one taskings, be proficient in that, but then also think about how you can use your skill set as a sniper as an enabler for that commander going forward. Right. Yeah. You don't want to be a
2: one trick pony. And that's what a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of our, our, you know, our systemic history has, has, has kind of amounted to, Hey, you're the one thing you can do is shoot long range, you know, and, and, and kill one target. Hey, great. I appreciate it. But that's, that's not super effective. Yeah. Um, and, and that's not really overall what the commander needs.
0: Yep. I, I'm glad you really brought that up. I, I think that's super important for, and, and honestly that moving forward, I think that's kind of what the goal of, Modern day sniper is is to raise awareness for uh, snipers that are currently serving in those roles. That you know, it's not just about the shooting aspect. Yeah, like Kalen and I, that's all we do is shoot. Well, we're no longer wearing the uniform, right? It's like that we don't have to worry about tactics. That's why you guys are in. That's why the guys, people, the instructors, they're they're in charge of teaching that. We're you know we're more subject matter experts in the shooting aspect of our job. Um, but you know, the last thing that we want to do is try to uh, you know, teach you guys how you guys are being employed because again, it's changing, it's always changing and, and stuff like that. Every, everyone is uh, different, but, uh, Rance, so I like what you said earlier. It's like, you know, uh, stressing to these soldiers, you are an infantryman first, right. And, and, uh, you know, that's one thing that I, I, I try to stress to my Marines when I was striking at the schoolhouse, like at the end of the day, you need to be the most advanced infantryman. You know and understand the basic understanding of how an infantryman is deployed in order to best support them um you know but a lot of times and I'm, I'm sure you guys see it in your community once they pick up the sniper tab or you know we call it you know the hogs tooth and certificate i mean fucking packs are dropped like they're king kong and you know they they don't care about their forward progression of of you know being a, the most le- lethal sniper they can they're like they've arrived you know what i mean But I mean, there's so much more to learn about how to be um, an effective sniper. And that's not even the role of being a good shooter. Like when I think of a a good sniper, I think of more than just the shooting aspect of our job, right? It's like, how can I sell myself to a a unit commander uh, so that he can employ me in where I'm best at, right? So maybe we're not good shooters, but maybe my team knows how to uh, you know, control supporting, um, supporting arms. Interact fire assets, 81s, you know, uh, artillery. And honestly, you know, a lot of snipers that I do talk to, you know, some of, some of their most successful missions uh, was when not even a single shot was fired, right? It was just the, the reconnaissance, reconnaissance aspect and uh, being able to control supporting arms aspect of our job. Um, so I'm really glad you guys brought that up of, of and and that's that could be related to even you know um, people in the law enforcement community. It's like, hey, understand these are what your capabilities are other than providing a precision fire or a precise shot. obviously, if it when it comes down to, you know you need to be able to do that. And I'm sure we'll get into that uh, an, another um, episode. Cause one thing I do like that we haven't done in this episode is talk anything about marksmanship or shooting, right? It's all employment. <laughs> it's it's cool, right? It, it goes to show yeah. that shooting is fucking 1% of what we do. Yeah. yeah. I mean, when it's time to take the shot, hopefully you're able to do that, but there's so many other things that you, a sniper is capable of doing. Um, but understanding that first and foremost, uh, knowing how to train for it. And then also being able to confidently sell that to your commanders so that you can, you can have the freedom of movement to do what the hell you want. And it starts yeah. there is as raising awareness for what your capability is. And I think you guys are doing a great job, at least from my end, um, outside looking in on, on what you're doing uh, rants on your, on your channel. I think, it, I think it's awesome.
1: Yeah. Well, and the thing is too, like, I mean, and we try to tell guys like knowledge is power. And, you know, at the end of the day and stuff, though, Army has these books. It's called Doctrine. And uh, I get it. Doctrine, it's dry. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes like, it's very hard to put your nose into it and stuff, though. But think of Doctrine as the playbook, okay? You can't call an audible on the line if you don't know the plays. So for, for students that are coming through, for guys that are currently in section, get into Doctrine, okay? Understand where the Army's coming from because I'll tell you right now, as an officer, an officer is very rooted in Doctrine. Yep. So if you want to talk the same lingo, talk the same language as an officer, understand his doctrine, okay? Understand those ATPs, your TCs, um, your FMs, understand that, understand what, where he's coming from, and I guarantee you're going to have a lot more success going forward. And students might be like, well, hey, where do I find this stuff? Well, we've put the resources and the links out there. Check out the Facebook page. Check out the Fort Banning Sniper Course page. Everything is there for you to be successful. I mean, shoot, we even hung the handouts of the course on the Fort Benning. site. Check it out. Educate yourself and educate the guys to your left and right of you. And I guarantee you, once you have that knowledge and that power and that authority and able to speak the same language, your employment considerations are going to go up, not down.
0: Dude, that's huge. So, you know, it goes back to that. I'm sure you guys have it like that young NCO that just graduated cyber school and you know he's talking to a first lieutenant or second lieutenant and then he's just grumbling under his breath or going back to the you know the hooch and you know it's like oh lieutenant doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about that's your first problem right there the biggest misconception is that platoon commanders know how to employ us they don't but it's our responsibility to coach and 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 mentor them on how to employ us and that's that's you know that's a maturity aspect of our job uh but you know um and, and that comes with hey understanding when when you get back from school tactfully being able to to tell them hey sir i don't think this is a good idea this is what we're doing now or this is how you know i i I see fit you know what i mean but if you sit there and just be like oh lieutenant doesn't know what the fuck he's doing well guess what you're not going to get anywhere anyways right like he's going to continue not knowing the fuck he's doing and he's going to continue to employ you the way he thinks that you're going to be employed if you don't take the time to a read up on yourself on doctrine, and like you said, uh, read up on what their doctrine is and how they're they're taught. Um, but uh, if you don't sit there and take the time to to mentor and coach him into you know what you see fit and how you you are being put, because at the end of the day, yes, you are the subject matter expert in terms of uh, sniper employment. And uh, do you guys ever get officers that go through the uh, the basic course? That's a question we get all the time. Yeah. So if you guys are listening no. to this. Yeah, the, the the easiest fast track to be a sniper in the army and the Marine Corps is to enlist. I don't care about your you know four degrees of college or your commission. Like it's very rare, and did it happened in global war on terrorism, a couple times a uh, slots. Especially in Hawaii, you got opened up for officers, but it's very rare, unless that officer is a is a Mustang, uh, for an officer to go to the basic course. And even if they go to the basic course, um, they've never ever will have uh, served in a sniper role maybe as a, a platoon commander but not as a actual team leader or a you know, just regular gp in a sniper platoon
1: well even like in the tc uh, chapter two i even talk about it uh, even for officers we are allowed to attend your guys's course so you guys offer a team leader course a unit leader course up in quantico you offer the mountain sniper course out there yep. in california and we even had these briefs during the isc where hey if you're a <laughs> qualified Bravo Four, you know, in the army, you are authorized to attend our courses. And I highly encourage students, you know, that have graduated our course to reach out and contact, you know, your POCs and attend those courses to keep progressing in their craft. And that's the thing too, like Roberts talked about it. Yes, this is the basic sniper course for the army, but it's the only sniper course. And if you think that you're going to learn everything in the next seven weeks at the course, and then be the master of all snipers, you're absolutely wrong. You have to go out there, expand your knowledge, either by shooting competitions, listening to modern day sniper podcasts um, or attending different courses though. But that's how you get better. You know, it's like, again, it goes back to that knowledge. You have to have the knowledge to have the capabilities to perform your job to the highest you know extent possible.
0: I want to shift gears a little bit um, because I'm I'm sure guys are, you know, that I guess for us, you know, they get the point of understanding, but you know, we guys like in us that have been instructors are very passionate about um, you know, what, our community and the, the future of our community. Uh, but I know some common questions that I get thrown around is okay. Um, what do your sniper systems look like. So let's talk about when you guys were in um, what a what a to of, um, you know, snipers and how you guys employed them and what you guys are teaching now in terms of uh, uh, employment. What, what you guys uh, are carrying over overseas.
2: Currently it's evolved actually quite a bit since, you know, Chris and I came in and when we, you know, came through the course, I know. So when I came through, uh, we still had the M24. Um, it was the M24, which was the, uh, 308 bolt action, uh, sniper rifle, sniper weapon system. And then we had the M107, which was the 50 cal. Um, when I actually came through the course is when the M110, so the Knights Armament sr 25, uh, you know, 308 semi-automatic sniper rifle, was 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 coming in, and, and we, they were starting to teach that in the course. Um, since then, the uh, M24 was sunsetted. We kept the 110 and the 107, and now we also have the M2010, which is the 300 Win Mag, uh, still based off the Remington 700 platform, but it's in a, a, a chassis system. So um, some of the biggest developments, really, in the last probably three years since uh, Chris and I you know came to the course is that we've we've brought the the mark five three and a half by eighteen um, that's being taught at the schoolhouse employed on the on the m one ten that's actually starting to make its way out to the force right now that wasn't a fully adopted program and we're upgrading the m 110s to now have that first focal plane uh, mill reticle mill turret um, optic on the one ten
0: would you guys have would you guys have on it before
2: it was the mark four a three and, and a half 10 power. Oh, three and
0: a half. Yeah. A yeah. uh, second focal plane, right? Minutes. Yep. Focal second plane. focal
2: plane. Minute. Yep. yep. Minute of angle turrets and then a mill reticle. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> right. And uh, so, yeah, now we're, now we're mill mill. We're first focal plane uh, across our weapon systems. Um, How long did that and- take?
0: How long did that take to, to crossover? So you guys went to school in 09 and, uh, or you you went in 09 and uh ran, when did you come through? Uh, 2012. Okay. Okay. So, you know, almost, you know, eight to ten years. Yeah. Well, so yeah.
1: The the funny story with the Mark V and stuff, though, and also this is when Roberts was a team sergeant uh, at the course. Uh, we just kind of sat there one day. It's like, why are we the only army in the world still running a second focal plane optic on top of our one ten, and we're still running you know minutes and mills, and it just it didn't make a whole lot of sense. So we actually took the optic off the twenty ten, put it on the one ten, and then we actually ran a couple courses with that. And then thanks to our leadership, our command team, uh, we actually started a grassroots campaign at the schoolhouse to to get the Mark 5. And, you know, no crap, two years later and stuff, though, the Mark 5 is is what's going to be on the, uh, the 110. And that plays a huge part to the man uh, right there, you know, Mr. Roberts and stuff, though. He's done a phenomenal job of updating the equipment that we currently have.
0: Uh, oh, man, I, I think that's super important to, you know, I, the, the, the day and age of like, uh, just make do with what you got. It's like, dude, but man, we're outgunned, man. To be honest with you, it was like you look at the, the and and uh, actually a, a former Marine Scout Sniper instructor posted up an article. It was a couple a few years ago. Do you get? Do you guys remember seeing that? Uh, it, I think it ended up going on the Washington Post, but it pretty much like laid out outlined the fact that America, compared to all the other uh, you know big um, uh, bigger countries you know, are we are outgunned in terms of what our capability is of, of snipers. And unfortunately, because especially on the Marine Corps side of the house, like the M 40, a six and the a three met the current, okay, what the capabilities of a snipers, you know, needs, we didn't change anything. Right. Yeah. And, it, <laughs> and, it, and it's hurt us.
1: And that's things too, I'm saying, so not just like with weapon systems and stuff, but with our ballistic software as well yep. too. I mean, when I first got there, when Roberts and I first got there, you know, guys were still kind of iffy on the applied ballistics Kestrel. Um, so again, you know, we, and again, it's about the equipment that you currently have. Uh, another key piece was the Storm, which is a weapon mounted laser rangefinder. A lot of the guys just look at this thing. And it's like, man, it's, it's complicated, it's bulky. I don't know how to employ this. We're gonna just keep it in the arms room. And that's just the wrong answer. Uh, and so it was all about looking at what we currently have in inventory. How do we use it to the best of our advantage? Um, and then also reaching out to the industry leaders so we reached out to apply ballistics we actually had chris uh come down and actually give us like a like a off the grid seminar over at tom's place and stuff though we reached out to actually first colby came out from texas and came out and hung out with us for a week and stuff though leopold has been out multiple times as well and again it's all about making that connection making that relationship uh you know getting outside of our, our comfort zone and it's okay to ask for help like hey i don't understand what you're talking about you know, can you, can you help, can you help us out? Because when we do that, we make a, a better force going forward and stuff though. When you think you know it all, uh, you're, you know, you're wrong and stuff though. And again, I've had conversations with you and Kalen and stuff though, and I've actually played your videos um, in the schoolhouse and stuff to show guys certain things. And again, that's because I respect you as an SME and I want my students to see like, Hey, you know, yes, I might be wearing the black shirt now, but there's other guys out there that have done a phenomenal job for the community. Definitely pay attention to them and stuff though. And whatever you can kind of grab onto use it because again, you're building that knowledge base.
0: I I appreciate that. Um, that, that means, that means a lot. I'm glad that, uh, you know, the videos, um, and, and that's really why I do it. I, I know that, um, you know, there was very limited, uh, there's just very limited resources. Um, when I was going up to the ranks of being a sniper, uh, and then it was, it wasn't until I came to sniper school or to, to instruct that I was able to, you know, tap into snipers, had tap into guys like Kalen Mojic and, and Frank Galley to really see what was being taught. Cause we were in, we were just in this, like, this black black hole of regurgitation. Right. It's like,
1: yeah, it was just a bubble. Yeah, we like we, did, we, yeah, we the...
0: didn't have yeah, a bubble yet. Yeah. We didn't know what we didn't know. And, um, um, you know, it, it's it's awesome to see the evolution of just how of, of just us in general. You know what I mean? Uh, of of now our, our rifle systems, how we're employed, um, and and it's super important to you know. It's always important to understand our heritage and our traditions, uh, but we shouldn't ever have to hold on to that and and uh, be like, well, this they used to do it back then, so we should continue to do it now because it you know made it do. Wrong answer. Like <laughs> that, that. Yeah, I mean, if you're not progressing, game, then you're like, doing it wrong, wrong. Yeah, that's yeah. right. That's right. So, that's uh no. I, I appreciate you guys. Um, that's that's awesome. Let, let's talk uh, real quick. A couple other things um, before we uh, we cut it here for this first episode. So the M uh, M24, you guys shot out to a thousand yards, and you guys are you guys you guys trained to. And we'll talk. I think in the next episode, we'll probably talk about a little bit curriculum. Like how, you know, the, the qualifications of what a sniper would go through at, at, through your course. Um, did you guys see a huge benefit from moving from the M24 to the, uh, 2010?
2: I have to give you a hard time real quick here. The, uh, civilian shooter in use coming out. We shoot to a thousand meters.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> I'm all fucked up. <laughs> <laughs>
0: You guys, so you guys shoot to We actually shoot to a uh, thousand yards in the Marine Corps, so you guys got that on us. Well,
1: so in regards to like weapon systems and performance and stuff, though, uh, with the M24, it was 800 meters or shooter dependent. Okay, um, and something that the Army does wrong, or you know, people that they kind of do this copy and paste thing. So whenever we get a new weapon system, we just kind of like instead of calling it an M24, we'll just call it a 110, but we maintain the same training standard. Uh-huh. And we all know and stuff though, shooting a bolt action, you know, coming out at say 2650 feet per second, compared to say 2550, which you might get with the 110 and stuff though, there's going to be some variance. You know am saying? There's gonna be some differences, especially in performance downrange. Uh, the same thing can be said for the M2010. Yes, we are shooting a, you know, the 190 uh, SMK compared to the 175 SMK. We are shooting it, you know, about 400 feet per second faster, but what we've seen at the schoolhouse too, and Roberts can, can definitely attest to this, is you might have one guy shooting at, say, 2850 feet per second, and then another student shooting at 3,000 feet per second, okay? So right there, that's a huge difference, difference in muzzle velocity, so how can you hold that same standard for both shooters, you know, so again, that forces us to kind of look at our training requirements and what do we actually want out of that weapons yeah. platform. Yep. And apply, apply ballistics and NVST, they've done a phenomenal job kind of helping us with like the, uh, the, the TAC or like your, like your hit your hip probability um, software and stuff though. So that way we can actually look at, hey, based off these parameters, what could we actually guarantee a hit a percentage on a target downrange? And Robertson kind of go in and fill in the rest
2: uh yeah so i mean i actually spoke quite in depth with this uh with with frank over on the everyday sniper a couple of months back um and, and that's one thing that we're taking a look at just as a whole is what is the effective range of these weapon systems you know what's effective and and what we're trying to accomplish because you know if if i can shoot a 300 wind magnet 1200 meters and kill a target does that actually mean that that's the effective range of that weapon system? And when we look at hit probability and hit percentages, what we're finding is that, you know, with the, with the M 2010 and the 190 grain SMK bullet, uh, we're actually only seeing about a 17% hit probability at that distance, which is at that distance, for, for, for is,
0: first round impact, right?
2: Yes. Yes. 17%. And so, you know, is 17% really effective? You know, yeah. my argument would be, no, Fuck it's no. not. If, if it's not 50% or higher, it's not effective fire. And, 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 and there's a lot of different factors that go into that, as you know, and as Chris just spoke about, you know, muscle velocity, um, but, it, it, and, other, and other factors too, but just because a bullet can travel that far, just because it is technically lethal, does that mean it's actually effective fire? and and that's something that like i said i'm working right now and work with the schoolhouse i'm working with our guys at doctrine i'm working just with the army in general to determine you know what do we call an effective and 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 i think when we actually define the role of a sniper that that's going to actually help to 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 kind of bleed over into some of those other things like effective fire
0: well it goes back to employment right like if 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 I'm supporting a unit commander and he wants me within a thousand yards or a thousand meters of a, a target area. Cause he thinks that, okay, well, he's got the M48 for us. It's an M48 six system and they're briefed. Okay. They're effective out to a thousand meters. Guess what homeboy? I don't know if that sniper is able to understand, like maybe he's not capable out to a thousand meters. Yeah. The weapon system is, but I mean, what kind of position is he going to be in you're in his hide? Is he going to be in the sitting? Is he going to be in some, you know, jacked up spot? I started to do some testing the last couple of years while I was teaching at cyber school in 2016 and 2018, I was actually gathering um, everyone's shot for a shot f- for qualifications in terms of um, their effectiveness just as a class whole and even for qualification. And that's going through three weeks straight of shooting at the same exact range, same exact course fire at a thousand yards with our platform on a, on a 20 by 40, uh, we had a 40%, um, uh, percentage for a first round impact for shots fired at a thousand yards. And uh, just like you said, w- w- I started to ask the question, well, what makes, what, what, how do we define effectiveness? Right. Like, mm-hmm. uh, cause it's like 40% is not effective at all. That's so for every fucking 10 shots that I take, right. Only four of them are going to hit. Uh, for my first round, I'm not going to take those odds, especially if if it's that one shot that I need to take in uh, potentially a compromised position. Fuck no, I need to get closer. And a lot of people don't realize that.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah, and that's something even at the schoolhouse. You know, when we, I know we're not going to talk about marksmanship right here. In general will say it for, for for a later time, but that's something that the marksmanship committee has done a phenomenal job on. I mean, at the schoolhouse, they we, like we utilize lethal zone targets now. Um, we capture that data, that 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 you know that that matrix, so that way we can go ahead and feed that to higher commands. Um, Even our final shot now is a high percentage shot on target. Um, You know, it's like I said, lethality and effectiveness on the battlefield has become our number one priority. And that's why like Mr. Robertson stuff though, he's done a phenomenal job bringing these new programs into place, but having that mindset. So instead of just the army giving us a brand new weapon system like, Hey, here you go. Have at it. We actually have some, some left and right limits behind it and stuff though. And having a better idea of how we're going to actually employ this weapon system, you know, in the future.
0: Yeah, that that, that's we talk about that at modern day snipers is, you know, because we we understand that everyone has everyone that's listening in is is definitely coming from different backgrounds and applications of long range shooting, you know. Obviously, we try to stick more around the sniper side of the house because that's obviously our where our heart belongs, Uh, but you know, we talk about in the um, uh, mindfulness behind the rifle of, okay. I'm going to understand when I pick up a M110 SAS, I'm not trying to hold it to the same standard as a bolt action 300 Winmag. It's just not it's just not there, right? So I need to, like you said, rework my training schedule or build my training around the effectiveness and the uh, capabilities of this platform. So multiple threat engagement, closer you know closer ranges, right? Um, and, and it just you know quicker um, uh, engagements you know not not one of these deliberate one shot
1: no. and that's exactly what we did so like with the M110 you know what i'm saying we no longer just do the same thing we did before it's yep. now it's rapid target engagement you cool. know i mean it's it's quick it's a complex engagement multiple targets from multiple positions in full kit um yeah it's a completely different ball game uh actually now in the course now instead of just doing six and a half weeks of belly prone shooting with various platforms we actually do almost four weeks now off the belly uh barricade tripod full kit um it's some really good stuff going on and i think as the schoolhouse continues that progression going forward and when we get the new weapon system coming into play the mark 22 uh i think the you know People are going to start recognizing that, Hey, the army, we're not messing around anymore and stuff though. But again, it kind of comes back to, we need to have that definitive role of what a sniper is, and that's going to be really up to force com, like the actual operating force, not the generating force. Uh, yeah. They're going to have to go ahead and define that role for us so we can go ahead and start teaching that.
0: The, the, okay. I'm glad you brought that up. The, uh, so for everyone that's listening in a lot of what the schoolhouse does in terms of curriculum is built around what the current active duty, um, I shouldn't say active duty because everyone's active duty the, the people that are in the essentially operating forces, um, you know, come back with in terms of how they're being employed and what has worked for them overseas. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Uh, that is the same thing for, for us in the Marine side of the house. Every time we get a, a, a CCRB curriculum course review board, uh, if we had to change a curriculum we always wanted to make sure there was current uh, snipers that were uh, serving in rules that were you know they were going to be deploying soon or just got back from deployment to be there because we were making sure that we were shaping the curriculum around how they're being um, used overseas
1: yeah so I mean I'll see that's Really go on the Marine Corps side of the house, though, but you don't have that on the Army side of the house. I mean, uh-huh. in all honesty, when it came down to new POI development, it was the current schoolhouse cadre. Uh, we kind of just collectively sat down. It's like, hey, what's the best way to go forward? And, and that's the problem and stuff, though. We don't have that operating force feeding that information into infantry school and an infantry school kind of setting those, you know, parameters for us and then directing us what to do. We're just kind of doing it. And I know when I was a team sergeant. Um, you know, maybe it was the right answer. Maybe it was the wrong answer, but I knew that there were certain guys in my class that were going to be going down range here to the next three or six months. And preferably those guys were in the special operations community, the same yeah. fifth regiment guys. And I just, you know, within myself and stuff, within my own conscience, I could not allow these guys to go forth and do great things without having the appropriate training. Yeah. And so collectively, we kind of sat down. It's like, man, like, the feedback that we are getting from downrange is more of this rapid target engagement, yeah. setting up quickly in a hasty position off of a you know tripod, barricade. You know, this is what we need to be focusing on. Yeah. This whole traditional, you know, two guys stalking in the woods, um, you know, laying down belly prone and taking out that lone HVT. Uh, just it, it's just it's not practical. It's, no, it's you know, not it, the reality not of what we do here. Yeah. No. Yeah. So, so we, we we had to make that mindset change, and again, it's tough because a lot of guys are like, "Well, hey, this is how we did it back in the day." Well, it's not back in the day. It's yeah. it's 2020, about to be 2021, and we got new new threats on the horizon. Oh, hey, and by the way, they're near peer threats too. So if yeah. we don't get ourselves into gear, like if we do go toe to toe with these guys, we're gonna get our asses whooped. And so that's why we had to make that 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 mindset change of bringing progression forward.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, I think you guys are doing a great job. I, I, I see it. Um, it, uh, it inspires me uh, it, with me being out to f- find different ways to uh, continue the mentorship side of uh, uh, being a sniper, because I think that's one of the most important things that uh, we want to do here at Modern Day Sniper, uh, you know, separate from the rest of the, you know, uh, subject matter experts out there in terms of, you know, ballistics and is, is whatnot is is yeah, we can teach you ballistics, we can teach you shooting, but we want to also be able to mentor you and navigate you through how to essentially be employed so that you can, um, you know, you could, you can get what you want. Um, you can get the missions you want, uh, because we understand that every battalion commander, every unit commander, um, whether it be a toxic chain of command is, is different. And If you don't know how to navigate those waters, if you think by the best way of you, you know, we call it being a Marine first, right? A lot of times when, when people become snipers in terms of like uniform regulations, they think they can just grow their fucking hair out. They can wear the fuck, whatever they want to wear. And then when, you know, first sergeant or star major sees them, guess what, (laughs) you know, now they're going to be treated just like, like the way they want to be treated like shit. Um, but if they, you know, look the part of being a sniper or they look the part of being a Marine first, right. And, and, you know, uh, just do the typical regular customs and courtesies of what is asked of a Marine. They're going to be able to, you know, get the, get the missions they want because they're able to show that they're able to do the small things first. And I think that's, what's not really ever talked about, uh, in, in general, it's just like, okay, well. This is how you shoot. This is what the bliss is, and that's important, right? Obviously, that's important. But the the mentorship side of of, of navigating through your sniper career, I think, is what's going to uh, keep the longevity of our community. We're coming up about an hour. I know we we want to definitely make this a, a multi-part series, which I I think it, it, it's going to have to because I know I've got still a lot of questions left in terms of. Um, you know the way forward for the army sniper side of the house uh, not only that how you guys uh, uh, come up with uh, international cyber comp without giving up too many secrets <laughs> and then um, oh, yeah. really a lot of guys are, are probably going to wonder because um, I get the question asked a lot like hey I want to you know I want to go through become a sniper what, what to expect so I want to hear your guys's input maybe in the next episode of when someone got when when people reach out to you hey how do I train for sniper school what you tell them you know because I know that we tell them you know, a, a, a certain thing in terms of you know mindset and whatnot. Um, but I'm I'm really curious to see kind of how the Imer, the Army Sniper School curriculum is is um uh, is shaped uh, compared to the uh, the Marine side of the house. But uh, I thought this was a fantastic episode. Um, I, hopefully, the the uh, the listeners got a, a a lot of information out of it. A lot of information of just the the differences. Uh, especially uh, the Marine, uh, Marine side of the house for guys that are listening in and you guys are Marine cybers, just so that you guys can, uh, you know, understand, Hey, you know, the army f- is, is in the same boat as us. You know, we're, we're fighting the same battles and to give them a uh, understanding of, yeah, we're, we're employed completely differently. Right. Uh, to, to some extent, uh, ex- extent. So, um, I appreciate you guys, uh, keep, keep putting up the good fight. Uh, Rance, you're going to drill sergeant school.
1: Yeah. I actually leave in, uh, two days. Was, so is, that, go is, back.
0: is that, uh, yeah, it's
1: in, uh, it's in, uh, uh, Fort Jackson, South Carolina.
0: Okay. So. Was that volunteer or voluntold?
1: Uh, no, I, I kind of volunteer because, okay. uh, also my family's still here in the Columbus area. Um, cool. so, but yeah, I want to just basically go drill starting school. I mean, I only have about three and a half years left. Till I retire. Um, but yeah. the plan is to go drill starting school, do my, do my, you know, my tour, my two year tour, and then probably come back to the schoolhouse and then finish off from there. But yeah, so mm. it's, Definitely de definitely be a, a different uh, uh, mentality going forward, but hey. I'm looking forward to the challenge. It's
0: very rare that I hear, even in the, in the Marine side of the house, like it's very rare that I hear snipers going to the drill drill instructor side, <laughs> just because yeah. it's just two different worlds. Right. You know? Yeah. Um,
1: but Hey, like the same thing with, even with the sniper course, just, you know, look for ways of progression and change. And yeah, I'm sure yeah. I'll ruffle a few feathers. Like I, like I did for the past couple of years at the schoolhouse, but uh, all in all, like my heart is always in to, you know, just making sure that the guys, the students are getting the best train going forward. So yeah. be it a basic trainee or a sniper, sniper student or whatever. Um, that's, that's why we do the job. Like we're yep. teachers, we're mentors. Yep. And uh, that's why we kind of create the social media platforms, um, you know, Google drives, mill pages and stuff to put those resources out there. So that way, if guys have questions, like by all means, ask us, you know, drop that, that, that I am into the, you know, into into the inbox. And we're here to help you out. You know what I'm saying? And that's how you strengthen the community is by, by actually building a community, not trying to close the doors on, on people. So we'll see.
0: Robert, thanks, man. You guys are, like I said, I have, uh, I, hold, I hold you guys in high regards. I mean, the first time I really, really started, to, you know, intermingle with the Army Sniper side of the house was when I went to, um, uh, you know, I didn't see you guys in theater, but I did start hanging out with you guys uh, on those competitions, especially the International Cyber Comp that you guys held in Fort Benning. Um, but you guys, I mean, you guys carry yourself with a high professional manner, and I thought that's awesome. You know what I mean? You guys are super for professionals, and um I'm excited to, to see what the future has for for all of us in the cyber community.
1: Absolutely. But, Absolutely.
0: Hey guys, uh if you guys are listening, uh thanks again for listening in and uh drop any questions that you guys might have in, in the Podbean app or you know shoot us uh, in the DMs. Oh, real quick, um what are ways that these guys can follow you guys on social media whether it be Instagram or Facebook or what's the best way to get a hold of you guys if they need, you know, if they got additional questions or they just want to follow what you guys are up to?
2: So, uh, what, you know, one of the ways is reaching out through the sniper schools, Facebook page, uh, guys can also reach out to the army sniper association, Facebook page. Um, I actually in the admin for the Facebook and Instagram page for army sniper association. So any kind of questions um, that I can answer, I'll answer. If not, I'll push it over to the schoolhouse or give those guys contact to, to who to reach out to you. Um, I think both Rance and myself are, are public, which is probably not a great idea. So, Uh, If you can find me, reach out, Um, I'll do my best to to answer any of your questions and, and, um, you know, then you can always call the schoolhouse. The website is, uh, or the, 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 I believe the phone number is on the, uh, on the website.
1: Yeah. So in regards to like the military side of the house, the Fort Benning. So if you just type in Fort Benning army sniper it's gonna pop up. It'd be the first thing that pops up in Google. Go ahead and definitely look into that. You have all the course handouts there in PDF format. You have links to all your individual and collective taskings. And you also have links to the mill suite. And the mill suite is kind of like the Army's uh, Google Drive. And on that mill suite page, we had everything on there from TC's, to handouts, uh, to PowerPoint presentations. And we can't be, we, well, even though I'm no longer there, I promise you that it's gonna be maintained and updated um, and the same thing goes for the Facebook and Instagram pages as well too. Uh we got some really good instructors running those pages now and they're, you know, ready to receive your questions if you have any so again just don't be afraid to reach out to us. We're here to help and assist and if you're, you know, a Marine Corps Air Force Navy doesn't matter if you have questions pertaining the sniper. By all means we're here to help you out.
0: Cool. Well, I appreciate you guys. Um, And last little uh, uh, housekeeping before I forget, Um, if you guys are listening to this, because this is going to drop Wednesday, it's Monday right now. Uh, It's probably when you guys listen to this, it is the uh, 16th. Uh, But uh, just a reminder of the Modern Day Rifle Virtual Summit um, airs the 28th through October 2nd. So don't forget to visit www.moderndayrifleman.com to get your free pass. And, uh, if you guys want those interviews and all that stuff for life, definitely look into upgrading to the all access pass where you'll get it instantly and, um, you'll have it uh, whenever you want for, for a lifetime. So, okay, guys, hey, uh,
2: hey, Phil, I got one more thing. Yeah, go it, ahead. Cool. Hey, uh, can I give a quick shout out?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead, man. So,
2: um, just cause it's been a relevant topic over the last, uh, last couple of podcasts. So, uh, if you're not tracking the military sniper foundation is putting together a team, uh, to go and compete. At the assassin's way, cool. there's going to be a whole kind of road to assassin's way, a train up, uh, different venues that we're going to be at. And a couple, you know, the couple guys that are, that are participating about that team will be uh, producing co- uh, constant contact. So check out the military sniper foundations, Facebook page. Um, the website will be going public here in the, uh, n- probably in the next week or so. And then also the IG will be popping up too.
0: Oh dude, um, thanks. For you, thanks for bringing that up. I actually just started seeing that on my feed. And I was going to look into that to see, you know, cause I I read like a real brief description and like you said, they're going to be, uh, talking about their essentially build up to competing in the event. I think that's, that's, that's super cool. I'm excited. Yeah.
2: Yeah. We wanted to get some, uh, some actual military snipers to be able to attend that course. So that way it's not, obviously that's a huge buy-in. So, you know, most of our male guys can't take the time off or don't have the money for it. So we're trying to get some guys that are still currently around the community, maybe not necessarily active currently, but, uh, to the actual competition. See if they got uh,
0: three weeks of lead built up.
2: (laughs) Yeah. So (laughs) some of us may be, uh, maybe leaving our current jobs to go and participate, but that's just part of it. (laughs) Cool.
0: Cool. No, no. Thanks for that. Shout out. I, I, I'm, I'm definitely going to give it a uh, check and and see what, uh, what that's up to. Do do you guys already have your participants or or is it still? Yeah. Yeah, we
2: do. Yeah. So it's actually myself uh, John Warren and then, uh, Mike Bosliari.
0: Oh, okay. Nice. Mike's going to be <laughs> going through it. And hey, we're still,
2: I mean, obviously all the details are, 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 fluid at this point in time, but that's the, that's the current team that we're looking at.
0: Cool. That's a, I, I mean, like I said, man, I think the Assassin's way is going to be one hell of an experience to, to at least say whether you win or not. Right. To, to say that you participate in it. I think it's going to definitely, Absolutely. you know, whether you Absolutely. win first place or, or, you know, last, it's like, Hey, I participated with what were you at. Right. So, <laughs> all right, guys. Uh, I appreciate you guys. And you guys know the drill. Keep your face on the gun.